Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and otherwise, and welcome to the Daily Brain Bleed. My name is Jeff. My name's Tucker, and Jeff, I think I have discovered the biggest Drake head in all of Congress. Do you know who that is? Who, who, who might that be, Tucker? I would have to say it's the gentleman from Florida's first district, one Matt Gates. See, we all know about the controversy going on with him right now, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds with all that, but... um. Put it this way, I looked at some of his statement when he was originally trying to explain away the uh, sexual misconduct allegations against himself. He said, and I quote, I have definitely, in my single days, provided for women I've dated. You know, I've paid for flights, for hotel rooms. I've been, you know, generous as a partner. I think someone is trying to make that look criminal when it is not. And when I read that, my mind immediately went immediately went to the lyrics of Drake's Marvin's Room, where he said, I've got some women that's living off me. Paid for their flights and hotels, I'm ashamed. But that you kn- bet that you know them, I won't say no names. After a while, girl, they all seem the same. And this guy's just ripping off Drake now, which <laughs> I think is awesome. Like, putting a, like obviously the guy himself... Uh, Matt Gates seems like the final boss version of um, all these guys around these parts in their 20s who are like messaging 16, 17-year-old girls, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. To go back to Drake, bet y- that you know them. I won't say no names. But, uh, but then again, isn't Drake like yeah, allegedly no, one of those kinds of guys? Too? Well, so the thing is you don't, you don't want to hear a lot of that. But unfortunately, um, what was it? He was texting Millie Bobby Brown a lot when mm. uh and I don't know if she's still a minor probably but uh, he he has a pattern of some people call it grooming I haven't read enough actual context to a uh, hardline cancel drake but yeah uh no uh yeah Matt Gates yes obviously just we, kind we of have, a bottom feeder we have to let um any sort of investigation play out and everything but I, I have to admit, I'm just biased because he he fits the profile to a T of that sort of guy, just the most successful possible. Well, maybe not the most successful, but a very successful version of yeah, yeah, yeah. that sort of guy. So uh, the fact that we can just make all of these different pop culture connections is just a cherry on top right here, in my opinion. Well, and I saw I saw a Twitter screen grab of someone who found his uh found his Venmo oh. <laughs> and just looked through all the all the stuff and it was just like my dude. <laughs> like it's all right there. Like he was using Cash App and Venmo and everything oh, else. This is the dumbest thing in the world. But then again, it's like all these guys who, you know, you look through their Venmo history and they're obviously paying for like the shadiest stuff in the world, sure. like you know, where you got you, they're buying something for like $96.37 on like 3 a.m. on Saturday morning, with and then the description is just like a you know, one of those eyes emojis type thing, you know, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, if you're a, a 20 year old douchebag who's being a horrible human that's one thing you know like you might be able to plausible deniability be like you know hey i could have been paying her for anything but like when you were a sitting u.s congressman with like access to so many resources like how do you how do you beef it that bad to be like oh i'll cash app you don't worry about it i mean part of the appeal of all of these conspiracy theories is that 
to imagine that the elite of our country and in fact our whole world are just so much more competent than they actually are. And sure, shady stuff goes down, but it really comes from a much more base place than um, all these, you know, ornate kind of Baroque ideas about, oh, what's happening in the back rooms. It's happening where it does everywhere else. Sure. It's just, you know. uh, Yeah. Well, and so, again... You know, this is not an endorsement of his character, obviously. Um, there, Many of the people in question were, in fact, minors. Yes. And the charges are, I believe, being escalated towards, like, conspiracy to commit trafficking and I, stuff. I think it might literally be he's charged for, like, sex trafficking. Yeah, no. And... So, I mean, we, we have moved far past the, you know, oh, well, he, he had his hand in the cookie jar and more so to the, uh, he was literally participating in large organized criminal activity. But that being said, there's a certain amount of Schadenfreude to be to be wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. good good day to not be that guy. And Schadenfreude, you know, it's like I see. Look, I don't like to play the whataboutism game, but lest anyone think that we are blinkered partisans or anything, it is incredibly funny when you get all of these blue wave resistance lib oh i know where you're going msnbc addicted folks going online being like oh you know this just shows the gop's values and everything and maybe it does maybe it doesn't but it's funny because weren't you guys last week all just dropping over each other to defend andrew cuomo yep there it is i was waiting for you to walk it in i i I have to say it i have to say it i mean it's right there yeah and i mean that's one of those where it's like look you can be a progressive and still be like hi someone with a blue tie on still like touched people and that's not okay like it really doesn't have to be a partisan thing just don't inappropriately touch people especially not kids and we'll kind of be at least cool and it's it's not even like whataboutism in the sense that like both sides are equally bad obviously if you have certain political views you're gonna have one opinion or the other it's just in the sense of it's really easy to be condemning all of the powerful people when they're on the other side but uh you know call me when we can be consistent you know and to be clear I think that Matt Gates and Andrew Cuomo would be like great cellmates. They they have more in common than you would think. Yeah, great cellmates, I think. But you know, I I don't know, I don't know. You know, again, this is all allegedly. I'm doing the air quotes thing here, so you know. Yeah, no. Uh, if, if Matt Gates publish publicist gets a hold of this, uh, you know, don't don't add us, bro. This, this, this is, is speculation or whatever for parody purposes only. <laughs> well, it's not for comedic purposes because then people would have to laugh. So. <laughs> Anywho, that's our that's our little uh, opening barrage at uh, Matt Gates. Uh, his conspiracy will be called the Matt Gate. Um, that's it. <laughs> These are the jokes. Gates Gate. <laughs> Gates. Oh my! It was right there, and I tripped on it. I, you know, I mean, I think Matt Matt Gate is funny too, but Gate Gate <laughs> Gates Gate is. <laughs> that's like the the meme that was like choose your wolf name, and someone was like, I'm Moon Moon. <laughs> And it's like, oh, hey, go get Blood River. Oh, sorry, we got stuck on Moon Moon. <laughs> Inside you, there are two wolves. One moon. Mes- one messages underage girls. One lives on the moon. You, I don't know where to go with. <laughs> Inside you, there are two wor- wolves. One is Matt Gates, and one is Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> it's it's ultimately a horseshoe, <laughs> but. Anywho, okay. Uh, so as you might have guessed by now, this is a film discussion and pop culture podcast. Yes. Um, and this week, Tucker and I have embarked on an endeavor that possibly, you know, it, it, 
is falls outside the scope of our journalistic practice and that we want to attempt to summarize and conclude something of a point on uh, the institution of long-running American animation. Right. Um, so I just noticed that we oftentimes have this conversation in the context of The Simpsons. And before you turn us off, yes, we know everyone's had this done to death the discussion of, oh, when was The Simpsons' golden age? Uh, why is it declined in quality? All that sort of thing. We wanted to kind of roll that up, though, and see if it could be placed as part of a broader trend. Because in the year of our Lord 2021, we've now had several shows that I think you can say have been running for decades that have been relevant to several different generations for multiple different reasons. And I'm talking about South Park, Family Guy, and SpongeBob. And we, though you will intermittently hear people, you know, discuss whether those shows have declined in quality or not, I think, you know, it'd be fun, it was would be fun to um, look at these shows side by side and see how the trajectories for each of these shows compare with one another. So, did you have anything you wanted to add here at this point? Um, I, I had a, a quick quip about if you were talking about the declining nature of The Simpsons and that if you still like it now, you are a simp son. Oh. <laughs> but um, that's all I got. Uh, so how, how do we want to approach this? How do we want to start opening the Pandora's box a little bit? Because we before the show, we were talking a little bit about some of the various rabbit holes this could extend down. How would we like to start? Let's just kind of talk about the ground rules that we did. So this week, we decided to go back and go to streaming and everything and watch three episodes from each show. We watched the first episode, we watched the last episode, and we watched what can be considered, for lack of a better term, the best episode of each show, which we recognize is subjective. And generally, for all of these shows, there's kind of like a canon of accepted really, really good episodes, like for South Park, at least. Um, I know that the one that we watched as the best episode was Trapped in the Closet, but my personal favorite South Park is the World of Warcraft episode. Sure. Um, and so we recognize that in, among the, you know, when trying to boil down a decade's running show to three episodes, you're going to leave out some good moments, but that's not really the point. Um, the idea with this selection was to get an idea of where it started, kind of its golden age, and then where it is now. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do... Um the make love not warcraft but that was my first instinct but i thought you know that was a little bit too much of a break from um the average kind of um south park episode especially yeah, at the I time agree. that um i wanted to kind of go so we just kind of collated from the you know all the top 10 lists that you'll see for each of these shows on um the internet um to see which ones more or less were on everyone's list. So I think even if these aren't your favorite episodes, they'd, they'd be up there for everyone. So for each show, for The Simpsons, it was Marge versus the Monorail. For Family Guy, it was PTV. For South Park, it was, as you said, um, Trapped in the Closet. And for um, SpongeBob, it was Chocolate with Nuts. Yep. So, and, and the thing is, all of these shows occur, um, all of these episodes occurred much closer to the beginning of each series than the present. So, but so let's uh, let's do this. Let's go through and just in 
a, in a short summation, let's talk about our attitudes at at large towards each individual show, and then we can kind of trace some trajectory based stuff. Well, the, I'll talk about The Simpsons, and I because I, I just want to get it out of the way. Sure. And though SpongeBob is the only one of these cartoons that is actually largely made and marketed for children, though I think no one will deny that it has a huge adult fan base as well. Sure. Um, I think The Simpsons is the one that stands a bit more from the rest of the pack because not only was it the fact that um, South Park um, Family Guy and SpongeBob all came out closer to one another. I think Family Guy and SpongeBob both came out in 99 and um, South Park, it was 96 or 97. Um, obviously, Simpsons was much earlier than that, especially if you count the Tracy Ullman cartoons. But um, the thing is, by the time we were already pop culture conscious, and this kind of you know gives our hand away as being younger millennials slash older Gen Z, depending on how you define those terms. Um, The Simpsons was already kind of in its uh, decline. The Simpsons, by the time I was, you know, old enough to look on Wikipedia and everything, there already was a subheading on uh, Simpsons that was something like criticism about declining quality and all that sort of thing. So we had already, by the time we were watching shows like this, we had already missed the boat, so to speak, right? Whereas we came of age very much in the golden age of each of the other cartoon maybe not south park so much but definitely spongebob but definitely spongebob and family guy and i know a lot of people who you know elementary school middle school and such went pretty much straight from being spongebob viewers to family guy viewers i remember middle school especially uh for us at least um which is like moving from a hand-rolled cigarette to straight up cocaine (laughs) but you know that's fine (laughs) i understand the pipeline it makes sense and to be clear i watched simpsons when i was younger but um it was always, you know, the stuff that was playing on local TV, and it was already kind of they were moving through the backlog of syndication and all that. Sure. Um, and I guess the thing is uh, with The Simpsons, it's one of those shows that I appreciate personally, and there are a lot of good episodes, but it it suffers from. I'm not sure if founder effect isn't the right term in this sense, but it, it's kind of like. There's, I'm sure, a TV tropes page for the trope of it did everything first, and thus when you go back to it, it doesn't seem as fresh when you b- watch a bunch of episodes, even though you intellectually understand that it was groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's something that I um, I attribute to, like, you know, if you if you think in terms of like musical groups and so forth, you know, I have a lot of respect for what the Beatles did. I understand that they are an incredibly relevant musical group in the history of a lot of genres, but I'm hard-pressed to just go throw on, you know, a Beatles record just for funsies. Like, I mm-hmm. respect it, but it's not something that I'm just averagely consuming in my rotation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my my only thing with regards to comedic styles, and this is, you know, maybe a bit of a personal... Um, personal bias, but I personally enjoy that at least, you know, cursorily through my experience with The Simpsons, which I haven't watched that much, but a lot of your jokes are more in the setting as opposed to being very cutaway, throwaway kind of gags. And so I think that's at least worth something in the consideration of the whole thing. 
Um, just in that that puts it in a more similar vein to something like SpongeBob than say Family Guy because Family Guy is very very much so sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, the Simpsons fans, the the people who are really hardcore invested in the show and have been for literally decades now, and even as they complain about the declining quality, they pride the show on being smart in their mind. I mean, this is a show that from the very beginning, its writer room was infected by all these guys coming from like the Harvard Lampoon. We're talking about a show where uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, I nearly said Conan the Barbarian. I don't even know why. <laughs> Conan O'Brien um, got his start, you know, and he's yeah. the patron saint of these sorts of guys. Um, you know, and it is very witty um, in a lot of ways and no one will ever deny that. And it never... Um, delved in shock humor in the same way no. that Family Guy or South Park did. So it it very much tried to carve out a space for itself right from the very beginning. Uh, and Matt Groening even acknowledged as much as an alternative to everything that was going on at the time. And you can see why it was such a cultural phenomenon, because especially if you have any knowledge of what you know your average sitcom was in the late 80s early 90s there was just no comparison yeah so i think in in terms of that um let's talk a little bit about family guy Mm -hmm. because in watching so first of all the first episode of family guy should borderline have a disclaimer on it that is it's kind of a a little cringy (laughs) Mm -hmm. to watch because i mean like there was a lot of stuff that was very anti-semitic in Mm -hmm. humor very much so like i counted like at least three separate jew jokes Mm-hmm. in that episode and it's just like whoo native american jokes black jokes like it, it was a, it was a little bit of a rough watch for me right and the what, what's funny is and and we're jumping around here and this is I, I might be a nightmare for editing sorry but it is funny to compare the reputation of uh south park and family guy because i think aside from I think the largely lazy comparisons between the Simpsons and family guy in the sense, Oh, family guy ripped off the Simpsons in a lot of ways. Um, South park and family guy were pitted against one another. Um, you know, in some sort of weird competition, especially for a lot of the two thousands, because they were both the shows that were engaging in the edgy, shocking stuff. Right. And the thing is though, and and both of them did garner their share of controversy less so in the past five, 10 years, because nobody really cares anymore. But, um, (laughs) if you compare the controversies for the, for family guy, it really tends to be a lot of, surface level stuff like oh they did a joke about um this race or women or whatever the case may be um and that's it right whereas south park i love or hate the show and there are a lot of people who have problems with the politics of the show they actually stuck their neck out in a lot of really dicey scenarios, you know, to make some uh, stands about, and arguably were substantially much more controversial when it counted, because we watched Trapped in the Closet, which was the show that was lampooning the Church of Scientology, and everyone forgets this, but for the longest time, there were a lot of folks in the media and elsewhere who were very careful about joking about or saying anything about Scientology because they were afraid of getting sued. Oh, yeah, they're incredibly litigious or or whatever the case may be. And 
South Park was the one to really get the ball rolling on this cultural backlash against Scientology because they went out and did that sort of thing, right? So, yes, South Park also does the joke, the jokes about uh, race and gender and all that sort of thing. But I, even if you don't appreciate that sort of stuff, it, it's hard to deny the fact that these are guys who are really and truly equal opportunity offenders, even when it could legitimately, um, you know, come back to bite them. And which, that- which is something that, you know, for me as as a viewer, it makes the show very complicated mm-hmm. because sometimes like I remember the special they did on Trayvon Martin, which was really good. Um, they I they did one recently about like the pandemic and the you know specifically the one we were talking about with the church of scientology i was watching it and at some point while they're actually describing the beliefs there's a flashing disclaimer on the screen that says this is what scientologists actually believe and i was just sitting there with my mouth hanging open because i had recently seen the documentary uh, what was it going clear mm-hmm. that was talking about the church of scientology and these are not people you necessarily want to screw with mm-hmm. like they will surveil your home they will sue you they will get you unemployed like they are very kind of dangerous people especially when they were more at their cultural influence than they are now and so this show just doing that like it it took some intestinal fortitude to do and so like while it's hard for me to process like you know the first episode which I just genuinely don't like, honestly. I don't think it's particularly mm-hmm. funny or interesting, other than the soundbite where it's like, you killed Kenny, because mm-hmm. that's a meme. Like, I, I still respect the show in a way that I don't necessarily respect Family Guy. You know, it's funny. It's uh, obviously um, they don't just tell everyone in the world in Scientology what they believe. They believe that the origin story is something that you should only go through after like several rounds of auditing because they'll believe it will mentally weaken you and cause chaos in your life or whatever if you are exposed to these truths that man is not meant to know before you're prepared. And you know what? Um, This episode came out in what, 2006, 2007, and then brought the story to wide attention. Uh, Considering everything that's gone on since then, maybe they were right. Maybe the airing of this episode and all of the <laughs> secrets uh, really did plunge our country and the world into chaos. See, do you know who watched this episode on airing night? Who? One, Donald J. Trump. Probably, and that's probably why And you know what? President. That was the first time, that little spark in the back of his head, it was an inception moment <laughs> where they opened his mind vault. There was a thetan. But, you know, you talk about Donald Trump and, you know, in South Park, and you have to then talk about what's gone on in the later seasons where um, along around 2013, 2014, they started pushing heavy into serialization and in a way that Simpsons and South and sorry, Simpsons and family guy never really did. And that's when it kind of lost it for me um, because I I like standalone episodes, especially with these sorts of shows. I like being able to have a clean slate to address new issues week in and week out. And when there's so many story arcs going on, I guess, you know, with Trey Parker and Matt Stone, that's what interested them. And so they can do what they want with the show. But that's, I guess, when it got stale for me. And, And that is a distinction worth making. It's more so than any of these other shows. You can really boil down South Park to... Trey Parker and Matt Stone and what's been going on with their lives for the past 20 years, because that's pretty much, they are pretty much the two guys responsible for the show and have been responsible for the show. And again, to compare it against, um, 
Family Guy, everyone wants to talk about Seth MacFarlane, and they will either praise him or criticize him for all of the issues that they have with the show, which doesn't seem fair to me because... I'm, okay, yes, his name is ultimately on it, but he's not really written for the show in maybe 15 years or something. I, he's clearly gone on to do other things, and Family Guy is now just still around as a brand extension kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know. So, you know, we, we've we've done a lot of uh, kind of comparing and contrasting and looking at some different things. Uh, the only other thing, uh, kind of relevant nugget that I can think of off the top of my head right now is talking about um, modern SpongeBob versus Golden Age SpongeBob, sure. which is you know it's it's jarring to watch modern SpongeBob because it's not it's not what it was. Just frankly, it's not. Um, and you can argue the nostalgia goggles all you want. I don't care. Patrick getting a wrench dropped on his head and screaming Finland would do numbers in 2021. I don't care who you are. And so you know I, I like th- there is legitimate academic papers basically to be written on how the comedy style has changed but i for for my money anyways it suffices to say the show is not what it was and i'm very glad that we all kind of have this collective cultural memory of all of these episodes that were just so well done and well uh well produced no i mean it's it's jarring to me because look uh the first episode of spongebob came out in 99 uh uh chocolate with nuts came out in 2002 and I don't think that I had, before going and watching the most recent episode, which came out in like 2020 or whatever, um, I don't think that I had seen a present tense SpongeBob episode in over 10, well over 10 years, right? Like occasionally if I was doing something else and like, uh, you know, late night at 11 a.m., I saw that they were playing the old stuff on uh nickelodeon yeah sure I, I might turn it on right just for background noise but i had not seen the new stuff in a while and it was jarring it was it was just so garish it was um spongebob was in its own way a smart show right it talked about high level concepts i i would legitimately argue yeah high level concepts for kids like you know the value of salesmanship and how they get you with different scans and all that and the new shows it it really i think it and this might just be the fact that i haven't grown up with it fine but it feels much more spiritually different now than any of these other shows feel from their beginning Uh, an addendum here i um (laughs) i did see as a lark the uh not the most recent one, obviously, but like the uh, Antonio Banderas um, SpongeBob movie <laughs> in theaters, just yeah. because you know whatever. I some friends wanted to do it. Um, no, um, and it, it gets me thinking. Like, I, it, is this like you know meant? For, is this what the target audience wants now? An unspoken thing is we talk about millennials and Gen Z and such. Technically, and generational theory is kind of dodgy for me in a lot of ways, but technically speaking, um, 2015 and after, if we're going by this um, categorization scheme, is its own thing. And yeah, we, we obviously don't know a lot about, you know, what this new generation will be or anything, but the older ones are like five or six now, and that's old enough to start like divining what their media tastes might be on some level. And so I, I just wonder what distinguishes is going to distinguish them ultimately from Gen Z, you know? I mean, <clears throat> watching new SpongeBob feels like 
someone grabbed old SpongeBob and then developed it into a mobile app. <laughs> that is the best summation that I can have because like it kind of looks like SpongeBob and it kind of sounds like SpongeBob, but then when you're actually interfacing with the thing itself, you're just like, this is not what I picked up mm -mm. on console 10 years ago. And so, you know, I, I, I think part of that also just has to do with the changing media landscape and like what you have to do now, because honestly, I think that new SpongeBob is not so much aimed at older elementary schoolers and tweens. I think it's aimed at like young, young ones. And it's really meant to be experienced on an iPad while you're keeping your kid busy, you mm -hmm. know, between Zoom classes or stuff like that. Like that's that I think is the designed experience for it now just to keep up with the landscape. In other words... New SpongeBob and Matt Gates have the same target audience. Oh my <laughs> okay, God! Okay, I, yeah, all righty. I was a little, <laughs> probably a little too much. Anyway, um, yeah, no, um, and that's the thing, right? I think part of the reason why you could plausibly put these shows in the same category, these four shows, is because early SpongeBob did work on multiple levels. Right. You are. It really legitimately was a show that someone who was a 20 something or older could watch if it, you know, was on because their kid had it on and get something out of it. Right. Just the same way that, you know, they would go and watch Family Guy or whatever and get something out of it. Might not sure. be good, but they could. Um, <laughs> um, whereas now, I just, again, maybe my nostalgia goggles are on. I don't know. But at least anecdotally, I know this is a show that, um, you know, I was watching it when I was, what? five six and it was on and my dad just happened to see it on and he was like, oh yeah that, this is kind of funny whatever i can't possibly see how someone our age or older now if they had like no attachment to it would find anything about this show well and so i think the other thing that you have to bear in mind is the the planned method of consumption because spongebob was on right after school it was on on saturday mornings it was kind of this cultural thing where when you weren't at school or you weren't like doing homework or something you'd plop yourself down in front of the tv and flip it on and see what was on for a little while mm -hmm. whereas you know now that's not really culturally a thing anymore you have access to streaming you have lots of video game consoles you have you know so much stuff in your face all the time that the idea of you know oh well i can't wait for this new episode of this show or whatever like that doesn't hold as much of its weight anymore as i feel like it used to and so why would you try to make it as smart or as you know mm -hmm. well written and produced and stuff like that because it's not going to be something that someone is going to sit and consume with their undivided attention for half an hour you know what I mean? Sure, sure. I feel like we gave short shrift here to um, Family Guy a bit. I th I do want to say that there definitely was merit to um, Golden Age Family Guy, and this is another thing that um, people will argue about what the exact definition of a Golden Age Family Guy is. Yeah. And the big complicating factor here is that the show was actually canceled for a couple years after the third season. It was only brought back a little bit later because of success of the dvd sales and the adult swim reruns and a lot of it yeah. and um so people will say yeah the first three seasons and then maybe four or five or six or whatever um because it was never smart in the same way that um the simpsons was and it was never um going to truly go there in the same way that south, south park, park was yeah. but it had a, a kind of vibe similar to the original Leslie Nielsen 
airplane where where they yeah, were gonna yeah, they yeah, were yeah. gonna go for broke and throw everything at the screen and, and, and no matter how off the wall or whatever they were just trying to get you to laugh right and that's I think a lot of the value of PTV was right and more so than I think a lot of these other shows really did synthesize kind of the pop culture sensibilities of uh, both the generation growing up with it at the time and older people in a way that really was legitimately palatable for a lot of people. I, yeah, yeah. I, I remember specifically finding it kind of interesting in middle school after I'd watched it for a few episodes. I, I frankly, I knew of a lot of people roughly my age who loved the show and they found it hilarious. And I, it confused me. Because I, I liked it less than them, but it was... How do they even understand half of what's going on here? Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of this is references to relatively obscure 70s and 80s crap and all of that. But but again, they had something for everyone, and it really did. That's how it became a culture, pop culture phenomenon for a while. Well, and so I was, I, I forget who I was having this conversation with the other day, but like to actually watch a full episode of Golden Age Family Guy and be able to understand and explain every single joke. You would have to be an incredibly culturally aware individual because they go everywhere. They're all over the board. And if you think about like, God bless, it would not have been an OK place to be for a, for a lot of people. An old writer's room for Family Guy. What a place to cut your teeth <laughs> if you're into comedy, because holy crap, there must have been so much stuff flying around. And just like the opportunity to say, hey, I need literally 20 bits for this episode. And you're like, you want 20 cutaway bits? For one episode, it's, it's just like, you know, you, your brain had to have been going 800 miles an hour all the time. So that's a neat thing to think about as, you know, it's like kind of a product of a time and an approach to comedy that maybe, you know, isn't as appreciated today as it might have been back at the time. But my impression was that and this might be different. This might not be the case. But my impression is that, again, much of the original writer's room for Simpsons was drawn from these guys who had like just gotten out of Harvard, right? All these guys with these intellectual pedigrees. And it very much shows in the show. This is, no one will deny that it's, you know, not a smart show. Whereas a lot of um, the Family Guy writers room, up to and including Seth MacFarlane, were these guys who had been like working in kids animation for like a few years beforehand. They got their, they cut their teeth in, um, you know, like Cartoon Network or wherever. And finally they were given a chance to let loose with a family guy. And it very much had that kind of uh, similar vibe. Right. Yeah. And like, I'll be, I'll be honest, like the, the PTV episode of, of family guy where they're talking about the FCC and everything. I don't 100% align myself ideologically with how Peter feels about the whole thing. Cause he's completely anti-censorship. I should be able to do and say everything that I want because that's real life. And you know, you, you get the sense that, with 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 Peter kind of acting as the mouthpiece there, um, McFarlane would probably have a lot to say about cancel culture and sensitivity and stuff like that. And so I don't 100% vibe with that, but it's a really smart episode. It's really well written, and it has a little bit of that South Park gall to it too, because mm -hmm. that was airing on a network. <laughs> yeah, like you know that was not probably you know they probably pushed send on that one, and then we're like. We'll see who's here Monday, you know? <laughs> well, but so, but yeah, I mean, like I've not as religiously watched the show or anything recently, but there definitely have been some episodes recently that have, you know, decried cancel culture and everything. Yeah. But regardless of how you feel about that, 
it just feels so tired now. Like, even more so than any of these other shows that we're talking about. Just some writers who are going through the motions right now because, again, this is a brand and it was was Fox. Now Disney wants to keep it around because they've calculated that, you know, it's gonna, <laughs> it's worth it. Why not? Um but there's just like it's funny because I don't know if I actually saw the most recent one, but I saw the one uh, like something that came out in March, certainly. Um, and there were technically jokes about like, you know, different groups and whatever. But it's like you would almost like miss being offended because they were just so rote, you know, it was it. it in a lot of ways, it's just a lot more sad to think about what's become a family guy than any of these other shows because you just, I can't imagine who it's for right now. I mean, at least with late age Simpsons, they're going through like all the continuity stuff and, you know, there's something there, but. Yeah, if you're if you're a longtime Simpsons stan, you know, the the new stuff, there's at least some added value to your canon, whereas the new family guy, it's like unless you're like a 13 year old edgelord boy, like there's really it's not for you. The the 13 edgelord boys wouldn't get anything out. They're listening to like come town or whatever. You know, it's uh, (laughs) this is a show for no one. And that (laughs) it really is. I, I keep on saying it, but it's sad. You know, you know, they should get. Joe Rogan on <laughs> that. I, I I just got acid reflux from thinking about a Joe Rogan family guy collab. I'd watch it. You know, I mean, like uh, out of a pure sense of academic curiosity. Yes. But like the thing that would come out of that would be unholy. We didn't include this show in the mix because we didn't think it had been running quite long enough, but you compare it to the other golden age, um, McFarlane joint that's still going on, which is American dad. American Dad is clearly a superior show. It's oh yeah, hundred like, percent. Um, especially when it hit its stride, and even now, I don't think it's the best that it's ever been. But it's you, fine. You have writers who care much more about what happens to it than it does than is the case with um, uh, Family Guy. Yeah, sure. And so, I mean, like, I think for me naturally the place that my mind went when we were first you know kind of cooking up how we wanted to talk about these things was looking also at newer like newer comers to the world of american animation you know stuff like bob's burgers and mm-hmm. rick and morty solar opposites all that kind of stuff and you know i think watching some of these older cartoons and seeing how you know how they got their legs and then what happened to them over time I don't entirely know how it informs my viewing of these newer cartoons because it's like part of me is like, well, shouldn't you kind of be in your golden age? Sure. Um, and, you know, are, are am I supposed to be waiting for like a season seven come up or is it just this is what it is? And if I don't like it now, I've just missed the boat. It's going to be so funny to see what ha- what Rick and Morty's what Rick and Morty's ultimate legacy is going to be. But we were kind of talking about this before. It's funny. There's been relatively little Rick and Morty content for as long as the show has been on. And I don't know, going, going into a different gear right now, I was watching um, this Amazon show. that's just come out. It's called invincible. It's based on the Robert Kirkman comic and it's own. It was his own spin on the superhero genre. And I like it. I like it. I remember reading the comics many years ago, and there are a lot of moments that are stripped, ripped straight out from the comics. It's an enjoyable show. It's very violent. I'd, I'd recommend going see it if you like that sort of thing. Um, and it's 
pretty serious as an action show for a bit of American animation. But I go and I look through the cast list, and this this just um, really sends home the difference between what animation is now versus, like, say, when The Simpsons came out. And it's, it's stacked with so many different stars. It's stacked yeah, with, like, yeah, yeah. J.K. Simmons and Sandra Oh and Stephen Yun and all these people. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I get that there are probably some fans of, say, J.K. Simmons out there who are going to watch this show simply because he's in it. But uh, it's like with Bob's Burgers bringing in all these guest stars and everything. At a certain point, are are these shows really bringing in a ton of new people, um, at least to offset the expense that you would imagine that you would get from hiring all of these A-list and B-list uh, actors to come on the show. And and you look at B, these big, um, even animated movies and everything right now, a lot of the um, Disney Renaissance movies didn't rely on all of these celebrity voice cameos, but yeah. it's all in here now. And you wonder what the reason it's probably not one of these things where it's like a surface level. It literally will bring a bunch more people on the show and it's probably more like under the table sort of back calculation of, okay, we have this relationship with this one guy and we need him to be an X number of projects. So why not slot him in this cartoon? And that's going to be this thing. But you really imagine what would happen to the world of like Hollywood generally, but certainly animation specifically if they brought in like, I don't know, some mayor Pete type guy from, (laughs) from McKinsey or, or, or some sabermetrics nerd from the world of baseball to really like maximize the efficiency as far. Do we need all of these uh, celebrity actors? Are they bringing in all these people? I I don't know. I don't for my money. I look at that and I instantly think, okay, you agree to do that for one of several reasons. One, you want to tick the box on having done voice acting, which I get. It's mm-hmm. very, it's a very fulfilling thing to do. I haven't like done like a lot of it or anything, but in the limited capacity that I've been able to offer my vocal talents for things, it's you know it's a worthwhile pursuit, and I mm-hmm. understand why actors would want to do it. I think it's um, you know less demanding of you than like say doing a full feature role where you're on film all the time and you're having to do makeup and you know, a bunch Mm -hmm. of like fitness and stuff like that. You just get to come in and just kind of act a little bit with your, Mm -hmm. with your voice, which is fun. And then, you know, also some of the underlying business things that you were talking about, but I don't know. I, for, for me anyways, like I know Hollywood is a business and everything, but I look at like an animated film or something like that. And I can see a lot of people just being like, yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll I'll crank one of those out. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm, (laughs) I'm really primarily thinking of it from the studio standpoint, but it kind of goes back to the Simpsons and everything and there was a controversy a bit with Family Guy and everything, but especially last summer when everything was happening, they finally made the move on a lot of these shows to um, bring in uh, voice actors of color to um, voice um, a lot of these characters of color, and no longer would it be the case that you know, you had a white guy voicing, say, Dr. Hibbert or whoever the case may be. And yeah. it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you, you can argue about, you know, uh, that sort of thing on its merits. But the, the thing to keep in mind was the reason this happened to begin with, we had this situation even materialize as such, was because when The Simpsons was coming out in 1989, 
there was like no budget for the show and they had what six voice actors on hand so at some point somebody was going to have to voice a wide swath of different people yeah, right yeah, and yeah. obviously more diversity is good but it, it's it, it just kind of brings home the degree to which animation is just afforded so many more resources by the studios that you sure. can even have this conversation because if this this still was something that was like done on a shoestring budget it, it wouldn't even be a discussion you know, um, well, and see, that brings to mind, like recently, I forget, um, I might misquote myself here on something, but, you know, when I think about um, American animated series that are just chef's kiss, wonderful contributions to the world, mm-hmm. uh, I can't help but think about and talk about um, Avatar The Last Airbender, mm-hmm. obviously very culturally relevant for a lot of people our age and just like a magnificent work. And I remember the creators uh, were seeking to do something live action. And they like it was like Nick was going to do some type of reboot or something with them. And they just walked away from the project and said, we're not going to do this because you won't give us the creative freedom we want. And then Netflix was like Netflix or some other studio approached them and said, hey, we will literally fund it however you need it to make your vision happen. And I don't think that 20 years ago, creators of an animated series would have possibly gotten that respect for, oh, you have created something that is a work. Mm-hmm. In in as much, you know, I mean, like, you know, sure, like your classic Disney movies and stuff like that. But in terms of like a show, certainly, certainly not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because it's it's kind of like, um, you know, what happened with comic books. Right. And you think about the different business practices that happened in the industry 50 years ago when it was literally just stuff for kids. Right. Yeah. And there was not a lot of thought thrown into it. But even Wait, has it changed? <laughs> Even within that, that those constraints, you had a lot of guys really doing fantastic work, but you have some guys who are, I think, very reasonably very bitter that some work-for-hire stuff that they did for pennies in the 70s or 80s or whatever is now being adapted into movies that like regularly make a billion dollars at the box office, and they don't have any rights, you know, they don't have any real stake in it, so... <laughs> It's uh yeah, it's a it's a complicated situation, surely, but um you know. So in in uh do you do you have anything kind of in, in summary that you would like to, you know, kind of say or have a, a little piece to leave people with? About this topic? I, I yeah. don't know. I I mean I'll I'll be up front here. I guess I'm not up front because I'm not saying at the beginning, but um I'll be up front forty seven <laughs> minutes into our recording. Uh, now I'm gonna get to the real stuff. Uh, we didn't have any real thesis here. We just thought yeah, it'd be yeah, a yeah, fun yeah. we just thought it'd be a fun thing to do to like compare all of these different um shows and see where they've gone and everything and see if it might tell us anything about animation as a medium. And I don't know if I've come, frankly, with any firm takeaways about the topic i think it was a worthwhile exercise though because you know it's one of those things that i'm thinking about now maybe like a month from now we'll do something uh we'll we'll come back to the topic i don't know but um i like some of these shows i I think the 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 thing that i most uh not i'm I'm not even going to say like what i learned today in boating school is because that's that is nothing nobody wants to hear that i would say that for my money I think that I enjoy SpongeBob the most out of the four mm-hmm. um, with a quick second going to honestly, none of them. 
there's really a, a pretty fair degree of separation for me between SpongeBob and any of the rest of them that I would watch for actual entertainment value. I respect them much more than I enjoy them. Whereas, you know, with SpongeBob, it's something that I both respect and enjoy. So, like, what's the what's the problem? Yeah. No. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, we were talking about this earlier, but um, Space Jam. Um, Legacy or whatever uh, trailer came out today and reminded me of the controversy that there was a couple weeks back when they released uh, those photos of Lola Bunny and how she's going to look in the movie. Remember and, what they took from you? Yes. And how it started the world's dumbest culture war controversy. If I can't have my sexy rabbit, my life is void of meaning. But I thought lost in all that when they did those pictures comparing old Lola Bunny and new Lola Bunny was... Oh my god. Like just strictly speaking on, on like in terms of character design and quality of the drawing and all that, the new one just looks worse. I'm not, I'm not talking about like any sex appeal or any I'm literally talking about like it looks like a show that should be just on like Cartoon Network or something, you know? Um I don't know. Uh, it, but funny, going back to culture war stuff, it does remind me of um it's impossible to talk about SpongeBob at this time and not talk about the fact that they that there's also a mini culture war controversy brewing about the fact that they took all, away a few um, SpongeBob episodes on streaming, including the one. Oh, with, did they? Uh, yeah, the the they took away the one. Remember where uh, Mr. Krabs was feeling old, so he did some stuff with uh, with. Uh, oh, the SpongeBob. panty raid. Yeah, the panty. They took that one away because they said it wasn't kids appropriate. And it's funny that we're like living in this era where you have a lot of other stuff that's being censored or taken down from a streaming service or whatever the case may be because of perceived insensitivity. And it's it it, it it's being rolled into that, but this really does feel something that's more like what the moral majority would have complained about like 15 years ago, but now we're trying to like wonder about how it fits into this broader context. I don't know. I just think that there probably is like an underlying Puritan spirit in America that manifests at different times and different ways. And are they taking away the one where they raised the baby clam as basically partners? I uh, I I would hope not. I hope not. That that was a that was formational for it, me. It was very instructional about what one should expect in their adulthood. I feel especially with when, when uh, there there were. I mean, there there was broad commentary there about gender roles <laughs> in the household because Patrick was just doing nothing as he was a deadbeat dad and SpongeBob was the work at home mom doing a hundred different things. And you know what? If you were the mom of a kid who was watching SpongeBob and you poked your head in and you watched 20 minutes of that episode, you were probably like, you know what? This is okay. This is good stuff for my kid. And you know, like do, do that with the lay episode of family guy. Just do it. Compare that to modern or modern Sponge, or modern SpongeBob. Yeah, no, 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 no. Hey, you will not. Uh, speaking of Space Jam, to kind to kind of harken back to. Sorry, I, epi- I, I went in a direction. That's my bad. <laughs> so speaking of Space Jam, to harken back to this episode, the episode where we talked about the Lady Gaga Oreos, we do have NBA Dynasty Oreos right now, and how could we resist? Um, trying some on the podcast again, doing a visual gag in an audio medium as God intended. And we are going to look at them right now. They look like normal Oreos, but, um, see, the thing is, I really actually know nothing about basketball, uh, because I am a nerd and, um, so 
This is a segment on the pod that will become a regular installment that we will create a jingle for, and it will become known as Mor- Give Me Morio of That Oreo. Uh. And it will not be uh, it will not be sponsored because Oreo would not come within 100 feet of us. Uh, mine has an L on it, which I can only assume is for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I could be wrong about that. It tastes exactly like a normal Oreo. Yeah, no, this is just an Oreo. Um, here, let's see. Maybe the novelty is in that they... Uh, I'm exhibiting great podcast edit. Uh, etiquette by talking with my mouthful. Uh, they have different teams on them. I believe this is Golden State. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I'll eat it and it'll taste. I, I don't know. Do I even have like a take on Golden State? I'm pretty sure they just got beat by Toronto. I have no take about anything. I'm just eating Oreos right now. <laughs> uh, I have another Golden State Oreo. Oh, I saw Godzilla versus Kong. It was just okay. Is that all you have to say about Godzilla yeah, versus Kong? Um, oh, Miami Heat. Cool. Yeah. Um, Ah, still a Godzilla fan. Still rooting for him. But big, big monkey. Big monkey. Well, time and time again, history has taught us the folly of man. Godzilla. Look, I just, I want Godzilla versus Kong directed by Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I just, I want more. What's he doing right now? Are, are there any new Guillermo del Toro films in I the think, work? I think he's making some movie with Bradley Cooper right now, but it's one of those things that might be delayed because of everything going on. What's uh, what's? It's, it's going to be like a horror movie. What, I, I no, but like, what's going on? I'm confused. Um, we well, it, obviously, it was the fact that we just got a Space Jam trailer was released. And yeah, no, they stopped as, production on the other film. They were we, like, guys, hang on. We as a society are just hitting pause for a while to, to process <laughs> to really this. soak that in. You know, yeah. it's funny they um they wouldn't like bring in Pepe Le Pew in this movie because he has consent <laughs> issues, which okay, fine. But you know, someone like noticed the trailer. There was the gang from A Clockwork Orange in it. Yeah, and it's like ah, uh, mm, I don't know if this is consistent, guys. I don't know. Yeah, that's one that I'm surprised has managed to continue to live in the cultural zeitgeist as long as I have. Like people still talk about A Clockwork Orange, and it's like. Have you seen it? I, Do you good. actually know what happens in that film? I, I, I know what happens. I think it's well. No, still I know a good I'm movie. speaking to the proverbial they. Yeah, you know, um, still a good movie. I mean, it still has a point to it. Um, but well, so I, does a pencil. <laughs> I, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm just talking about stuff with a point. Um, I think that we have bled fairly thoroughly. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a that's a long form take on long running American animation uh, as an institution. Hopefully, you've m- managed to gain something from this. Uh, if not, I don't owe you anything. You consume this for free, so you know what? <laughs> Get off my back about it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How about that? My name is Jeff. My name's Tucker. Have a good week. <laughs>